We do want to welcome you. My name is Philip Steele. I'm the missions pastor here. And we are going through the purple book. And if you do not have a purple book, we've got some up here. And we're just going to give them away. Or I could throw them. Does anybody need one? You probably ought to just come up. Just come up and get one. I know some of you have seen it before. You've gone through it. I even have a purple t-shirt. It says here, go purple. And on the back, it says, I think it says, have you done the purple book? And there's kind of a story, at least in my life, there's a story behind that. Because this purple book has been translated, I think, to 25 different languages now. And I think there's close to 2 million um, copies of it out there in all the different languages in China and everything like that. And I was in, I was in Baja, California. That's a part of Mexico, actually, but south of San Diego. And there's a ministry there called Baja Christian Ministries. Pastor Rice made mention of it either this last Sunday or the Sunday before. And I just want to get the statistics right because... When I was there, there was a guy that had a T-shirt like this in Spanish, you know, have you done the purple book? And I told him I liked that shirt. And it wasn't like, hey, I like that shirt. You know how sometimes, you know, hey, I like those shoes. You're supposed to give them to me. But I just said, that, I like that shirt. And he said, oh, I'll give it to you. And then his supervisor in the ministry said, no, I don't want him to give you his T-shirt. I'll give you one. And then he explained to me that the only way you could get that T-shirt in that ministry was that you have to have done the Purple Book with at least 25 people. And so that guy, for him to wear that T-shirt, that was, you know, that was prestige. That was like his, his ranking in the army of the Lord. You know, I mean, that was a big deal. And this ministry, I looked on their webpage a couple days ago, and they said that they have distributed 366,330 purple books, of which 205,367 have been completed. They don't just kind of say, well, about 200,000. They say, two, uh, this is the number on the webpage, 205,367. Because what they do is they'll give out like to a leader or somebody that's just hungry for God and wants to help other people follow Jesus, they'll give them 25 purple books with 25 Bibles. And then they'll come around again, maybe every month they'll come around and, hey, how's it going? They'll talk to the leader. And after four months or six months or however long it might take, excuse me, you know, no real pressure to, to do it on a, on a timetable, but just keep make progress, make progress. And so if that group of 25 people, if after six months, then if um, 22 have finished, they'll get 22 diplomas. So that's a pretty big deal. You know, I have finished the purple book and you get your diploma. And so that's how they know. They know exactly how many purple books have been distributed and they know exactly how many have been completed. And then Pastor Rice explains it, that you look at some of these, these old, older ladies, and they've done the purple book with like 75 different people at different times. And they just go gather their group of 25 and six months, eight months, and they do the purple book, 20 of them finish, 18 of them finish. And then they start again and they go through the purple and those wa the water of the word is going through them. And you look at these people that have done the purple book with other people and there's just fire coming out of their eyes. Have you done the purple book? 
You know, so we're in our kind of our summer purple book challenge. And so if you don't have one, there's still some up here. You know, go ahead and get that and just make progress. Like what Pastor Bryson was saying, usually there's four or five sections in each chapter. There's 12 chapters, and we're definitely going to try to do the first four chapters. And then the, um, the idea, the goal would be is if you've done it yourself, that you'd be able to help somebody else to do it as well. And so we're going to be going through it on these Wednesday nights. Tonight we're going to talk about the first chapter, Pastor J.T. McCraw, our men's pastor, director of ministries, did a great job. I'm going to get into it a little bit. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures. I will repeat a little bit of what he said. I know he said in the beginning, you know, he started in Genesis 1. And if you've never read Genesis 1, that's a good place to start. In the beginning, God. And then God created the heavens and the earth. And he said it was good. And then he created the stars, he created the animals, and everything he did, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then finally, when he gets into chapter 2, and then he creates man and woman, he says, just, it was just Adam at the time, and then he said, this is not good. And so he creates Eve. And then he gives them, Pastor JT mentioned it, you can look in Genesis chapter 2, he gave them one command. Everything was permitted. You can eat of any of these trees. That's a freedom we haven't got, except for this one prohibited tree. That was the one that they couldn't. And, that, you know, that kind of temptation is always, like, reachable. It's always the, 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 knowledge, the tree, the forbidden tree, the knowledge of good and evil was in the middle of the garden. And how many of us know, we, you know, temptation, it's always there. It's like... And now with our cell phones and social media and all the access we have to Internet, it seems like it's easier, it's easier to sin than it is to go up and get a glass of water. Because you're just two or three clicks away, and then all of a sudden it's, it's so easy, it's reachable. So what I want to do, I want to start at least in Genesis chapter 3. We'll just read through it. I know Pastor JT did, but I would just like to read through it. I'm going to find it here, and I think we'll have it on the screen. I was actually, before the service, I was making progress on my purple book. And this one here, this one I actually started a couple years ago, and now I'm picking it up again. I've got another one that I'm working through as well. But we're going to go through, we're going to go through Genesis 3. We'll just read it, excuse me, just a little bit. So if you want to join with me, whether you're you know, online, at home, Bethel TV, whatever it might be, Facebook, you're here with us. And we are glad that I just met some new friends. My circle of friends is ever increasing. We've got some people from our greater family of churches, every nation. They're here. Some of them are here for a school of campus ministry, others for a um, new staff training. So we've got people from all over. Bethel belongs to a, a greater family of churches called Every Nation. We're currently in about 80 different countries. We've got probably about 80 or 90 churches here in the U.S., but anyway, we welcome you, and some of you, it's like, well, I've already got a purple book at home because our movement uses this book, Bible study book. Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And don't you know the devil, the, the accuser, the liar, the serpent does that? Did God really say? Did God really say you have to wait until marriage? 
did God really say? Did he? You know, so he's questioning the very words of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So she's actually adding in a little bit. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You just go ahead. There'll be no consequences. You can start down that road and do what everybody else is doing. You won't become an addict, whether it's to drugs or to alcohol or to pornography. You just go ahead. You can play with that. You can, there won't be any consequences. Just go ahead. Everybody else will, but you'll be okay. It's just a little bit. The serpent said, you will not you, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, well, don't those temptations just, it's always the good stuff. It's always the, it's, it's like it's good for food. And the same, you can read about it, I guess, too, and it would be another scripture another day, but First John 2 talks about everything that's in the world not planet Earth, but the world as opposed to the kingdom of God. Everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, it's good for food. I like it. And then also, it's a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. And so that's that pride of life. And you can even compare this to Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is tempted and we will actually get into that passage in a later chapter of this purple book as well. It was a delight to the eyes, so the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then it goes down, and the Lord, you know, Pastor JT mentioned it, you know, and, and the Lord goes, and he, he acts back, basically asks them to give an account of what's going on. But I do want to get into here in verse 21. This is something that just really has stood out to me. Verse 21, it says, it says here, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, where did God get those skins? You know, there had to be some kind of a sacrifice that was made amongst those animals. And that little passage right there, it gives us a, a hint of God's redemption. It gives us a hint of, of God's holiness. You know, that it wasn't just an accident, but it was actually a foreshadowing of the salvation that God would reveal. That, that it shows us God's holiness and God's justice. That he had to make those those animal skins. It, it shows us God's immutable standard of perfect obedience springing from faith. It wasn't just like God could change his mind. God is immutable. That means he's unchanging. He's not like the parents that would say to their little, to their three-year-old, one more time, one more time, and I'm going to punish you one more time, one more time. And then the little kid realizes, mommy's just a liar. She said that five times and she's still not, you know, so I know that I can just get by with that. God is not like that. God is unchangeable. When he says something, he means it. It shows us the terrible sinfulness of humanity. You would think, well, that was just one little apple. That was just one little fruit. What, what difference does it make? 
It's just one little click on the internet. It's just one little relationship. It's just one. But see, God is holy. God is other than us. Shows us his holiness. It shows us our sinfulness. And in this first chapter, we get into the the sinful, uh, sinful nature, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I'm not up here trying to point my finger at anybody. Even as the Apostle Paul said, woe unto me, I am the worst of sinners. So don't think that I'm here condemning you because I know that if I really received from the Lord what I deserved, I can remember going to church. I grew up in southern Minnesota, going to a Lutheran church, pretty much going to church every Sunday. I'd be in church. In a sense, it was, I was kind of buying the right. We made a deal with my parents, lived in rural, rural Minnesota. I grew up on a dairy farm. And for us to go into the nearest city, a city, a city, a town, 20,000 people, but that's where, that's where everything was happening. So I had to have a car. In order for me to, to you know, get around, you'd, if you don't have a car, it's like you're grounded. You, there's no public transportation, no buses, anything like that. And so the deal we kind of made was that for me to use their car on Friday and Saturday nights, I had to go to church on Sunday mornings. And so I would be in church on Sunday mornings, buying the right to use, don't ask me what I was doing on Friday nights, Saturday nights, but I knew that what I was doing in private, I knew that God was seeing that, and I knew that I was separated from God. I had been taught the Ten Commandments, one particular one talking about reserving certain things until marriage, which I was disobedient in that area. And uh, I knew that if I got what I really deserved, I can remember praying a, praying a prayer when I went up to college. I started going to a small group Bible study. And, and one night the Bible study, I couldn't get into the Bible study, went back to my dorm room and they said, today's Tuesday, we got to celebrate. Today's Tuesday, let's go to the bar. Like tomorrow's Wednesday, we'll celebrate again. Next day's Thursday, we'll celebrate again. You know, just any excuse will do. And as we're walking back on that Tuesday, when I should have been at the Bible study, walking back from the bar, had to go across a pretty busy street, and I prayed, and I said, God, don't let a car hit me and kill me, because I knew that if I would have died in that spiritual condition, that I was not ready to meet my maker. I knew that I was separated from God. And see our sin, each and every one of us, when we reach out for that forbidden fruit, when we reach out for that forbidden relationship, when we reach out for that, even the, the forbidden, you know, how much money do you really need? And how much anger are you really gonna express? And you know, when you reach out for that, it feels good in the moment but it, 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 it brings death. The wages, the payment for sin, of course, is death. And I knew that I had sinned against a holy and a righteous God. So my prayer was, Lord, don't let a car kill me. And, you know, some of you guys are looking at me like, well, did God answer? Well, I'm here, aren't I? How did the story end? You didn't answer the story, did you? Yeah, I'm here. So I'm, he did hear that prayer. And actually, a week later, I did go to the Bible study. And I, as I was going back to my, my dorm room that night, I said, you know, tonight's the night. Tonight, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. They can call me whatever they want to call me, a Jesus freak, a hallelujah, whatever. I don't care. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that night, my, my prayer, my sinner's prayer was just one word. It was just yes. 
But that yes was, yes, come into my life. Yes, forgive me. Yes, make me into a new person. And that's what happened. I, I went from death to life. I went from darkness into light. And that's been a few years, a few decades, but the Lord has sustained me along that way, given me the opportunity to travel a little bit and to have the wonderful family. My wife and I will be celebrating 31 years of marriage this, this year, so we're very happy about that as well. Thank you for that. I'm trying to catch up to my parents who this September will celebrate 68 years of marriage. Going back to these animal skins, it shows us our terrible sinfulness. It also shows us God's desire to have a loving relationship with humanity. You know, I think for many years as I read, I read Genesis 3, I just kind of skip over, yeah, animal skins. But to me, that, that scripture, verse 21, has become like the key moment of showing God's desire for relationships, God's desire to initiate a redemption, a making it right, a reconciliation, a, a bringing humanity back into his presence again. It shows us our need for atonement and our inca incapability to provide it for ourselves. Those fig leaves. How many times do we try to, you know, put something on us? You know, well, I do, I know that I did wrong, but I just think that, you know, the man upstairs, he's going to kind of weigh me in the balance and I'm, I'm not as bad as, as those people. And I've, you know, I'm a good person, good compared to who? When you read the news these days, and it's, it's like reading Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 and Genesis 6, where there's the flood and the evilness. Of, and, and you read that, and you compare yourself to the guy who killed five people, and you say, yeah, of course I'm a good person. But then you compare yourself to somebody else, and you say, well, I'm not all that good. And it's almost like if we were to have a, a, a competition here to see who could throw a football the farthest. Some would do better... You know, maybe there's some quarterbacks in here and they could, you know, they could throw it. Other people, they've never seen a foot, American football before in their life. They just barely throw it. And, you know, some would do better than others, but nobody could throw it to the moon. What do you mean to the moon? That's ridiculous. Yeah, but that's how distant we are from a holy and a righteous God. You're comparing yourself to somebody who's a little bit better, a little bit worse but compared to the one who is holy, who is immutable, unchangeable, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God, and it's God who initiates a relationship with us. Some people say, well, I found God. Oh, I didn't know God was lost. I was lost. It shows us our incapability, incapacity to provide our atonement it shows that the, the, the animal skin shows God's definition and provision of an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God is the one who defines sin. Why is it that that tree was the forbidden tree and all the others were permitted? Why? Well, God is God and he can decide. And really, if we knew God in his holiness and in his love, we would realize that God wants the best for us and we wouldn't always be questioning his definition of sin and even his definition of atonement, which brings us back, which is forgiveness. It's bringing us back into relationship with him as well. 
God definition of providing that it also it shows us those skins show us that repentance and faith are the necessary response to God's word. Adam and Eve had to receive, they had to put on the salvation or the type of salvation that God was giving them in these animal skins. And so, like I say, this has been just a real uh, eye opener, just that little verse there, right there. So, you know, like I say, I'm not going to go into all the different scriptures. You know, this, this purple book, it becomes like a can opener. The can, the, the contents, the food is the Bible. But the purple book just kind of helps you to open it up, helps you to get into it a little bit here. And then so we have lesson two. We have the result of sin. And, you know, it talks about Romans chapter three. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's no one that seeks after God, not even one. Their tongue is like a... You listen to people's tongues and what they say and the, the cursing, the speaking evil, the criticizing, even more now so in the society that we live in. People are speaking evil of other people who have been created in the image of God. How does the Bible describe eternal judgment? Matthew chapter 25 talks about, it's, it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in that last day, before you know, when Jesus comes back, he says he's going to separate the people out. As a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he says the, the sheep on the right, the goats on the left, and the sheep, he's going to say, he's going to say, welcome into my kingdom because I was hungry, you gave me food, I was naked and you clothed me, I was in jail and you visited me, I was sick and you helped me. And the people are going to say, well, when did we do that? Well, the, you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me, come into my kingdom. Those on the left... I'm not saying that you guys are the goats, okay? Just clarify that. <laughs> he was going to say, well, I was hungry and you did not feed me. And I was thirsty. You did not give me a drink. I was naked. You did not. Well, when did we do that? We would have done it, Lord. Well, just like you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And then the very strong words, he says, those on the left, I'm not talking about you guys. Those on the left, maybe I should talk over here. <laughs> Those on the left, he's going to say, depart from me into the lake of fire. And the Bible talks about that as very clear, uh, I want to say almost harsh words, but it would be better to know on this side of eternity that that's a possibility, that that does exist. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. You know, I know we don't like to talk about it, but... It's a, it's a very real reality in the eternal world that there are two roads. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow road that leads to life. There's many on that broad road. There's a few on that narrow road. And we, and we do get into that even in some later chapters here. And so that's, you know, the result of sin. And lesson three, God's solution for sin. And, and you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's good. It's healthy it's a fear of the Lord for us to see from what Jesus has rescued us. You know, if, if the message is always just, well, Jesus loves you, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, God loves me just as I am. And then, and then I was walking on a road to destruction. It's like if I walk and I was on the cliff almost. It's better to find out about that road and realize that if it hadn't been for his grace, for his mercy, 
You know, I think about it on that, that prayer going across that street after going to the bar at the University of Minnesota. Lord, don't let a car, I th you know, I think about it right now. What would have happened? What, where would I be right now? Where would you be right now? You know, but his grace has reached us. And so when we realize how wretched, how wicked I was, I am, how, how I deserve the eternal punishment of God, then I can greater appreciate what Jesus did on the cross for us. And we get into that in the, in the purple book here a little bit as well. And, you know, in lesson, lesson three is God's solution. You know, that he, that the, I'm going to be, I'm, if you're following me in your purple book, I'm going to be on lesson three and chapter, I'm sorry, uh, chapter one, lesson three, question nine. What does Jesus' blood, the sacrificial death, do for us? Romans 5, 9, having been justified by his blood, his blood justifies us. Romans 1, 7, his blood redeems us. That means to buy something back, to buy it back, to redeem something. It reminds me of the, of the story of this little boy. I don't know if I've shared this here. It's been a while, but it, it, it's such a good illustration. This little boy had this little toy sailboat, and he was... He was playing with his toy sailboat on the river and he was playing and he was running alongside the river running and his sailboat was just a little toy sailboat and, his, and then all of a sudden the river just got going and the river just took it. And he went crying to his daddy, 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 my sailboat has left me. I went crying, went crying home. And then a couple weeks later they were at the flea market and the little boy saw his little toy sailboat. And the flea market, and it was going to cost him $5. Daddy, daddy, that's my sailboat. That's my... So he goes up to the guy trying to sell it. Daddy, daddy, that's my sailboat. That's my sailboat. And the guy says, well, I found it on the river, and I'm selling it now. It's going to cost you $5. So the little boy's just crying, crying, crying. I want that sailboat. That's my sailboat. And he goes back, and he breaks his piggy bank and counts all his quarters and his dimes and his nickels, and he comes up with $5. And he goes back, and he buys back that little toy sailboat. You know, that's what God has done for us. The little boy says, sailboat, sailboat, you're mine twice. First of all, because I made you. Second of all, because I bought you. And that's what God has done for us. And it didn't cost five dollars it cost the blood of Jesus and so when the Bible talks about redeeming we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb we have been bought back that's what that is that's the the blood of Jesus you know sometimes in different circles you know there's there's different concepts about the blood of Jesus and the blood the blood I plead the blood and it's it can sound kind of gross and you know, I just sprinkle the blood and, I, you know, but just wait a minute. Let's just find out what the blood really does for us. That blood that Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that between Gentiles and Jews, or maybe we can say between blacks and white, between Asians and Hispanics, all the different ethnicities that have been divided, that have been separated, but we have been brought near by the blood of the Lamb, Ephesians 2, chapter th verse 13. We've been brought near, first of all, to God 
But then second of all, as we're, as we're brought closer to God, we're brought, we're, he's bringing us closer to one another as well. And that's what the blood of Jesus does. And it really shouldn't be in the, in the church, in the body of Christ, if we, have, if we really see how we were all lost. And there's not going to be, you know, two races. The, the, the two races are the lost and the redeemed, the lost and the found. And if we realize that I was lost and you were lost, doesn't matter what color your skin is, how you speak the language or what language you speak first, we were both lost. And then if we've both been redeemed, that should join, should join us. If we could really see the greatness of our sin and the separation, and if we could really see the greatness of his work to bring us together, there should be no division, ethnicities. We should have the, the grace, the ability just to forgive and realize that that's a brother in Christ. That's a sister in Christ. I don't care how they speak. I don't care what color their skin is. We've been, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And, and, the, and it breaks down that dividing wall even of hostility between us if we really know it. First John chapter 1, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We've got in the, in the book there, 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. I think it's 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if you confess your sin, you have been cleansed. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. And I know some of you are thinking, man, this is like kindergarten stuff. I heard, I heard this like a long time ago. Yeah, I know, it's, but it's, it brings me great joy. It brings me just that knowing that he loves us and that we respond to his love. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by his good work. And we'll get into that in a minute. And let me do this. I, I do want to go through in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to look that up. I think we've got it on the screen here too, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. And I am kind of starting to... I'm starting to land this plane just a little bit. So I'm going to talk about, I'm going to start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. I don't know if you've got that. If you've got 14, I'll start at 14. Let me do 12. Okay, can you get that for me? There we go. Thank you so much. Good job. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all are, most, are people to be most pitied. You know, and, and the, the Christian faith really comes down to Jesus dying, being buried, and being raised again from the dead. Pastor JT mentioned it in the, in the video as well. And if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then our faith is futile. You're still in your sins. There's no hope. 
But I like Pastor Rice Brooks, the co-author of this book. He wrote another book, um, God's Not Dead. Another one, Man, Myth, Messiah. He makes reference to a, a now a friend of his, Gary Habermas, who did his, I believe it was his doctoral dissertation on the resurrection of Jesus. And I can't remember the exact, you know, number of pages that Dr. Habermas was supposed to write about the resurrection of Jesus because they kind of questioned him and how are you going to write on this dissertation? What are you going to write about? I want to write about the resurrection of Jesus. And they said, okay, but you can't just come back and say Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible says so. They said, you got to come up with at least 200 pages. I think he ended up with something like 350 but kind of the, the, the science behind the history and social sciences, when they talk about did an event in the past happen, and then they use a phrase called the, the um, let me just get it here, make sure that I, the, the facts, the, um, the basic facts, the historical facts that even the secular historians would agree on. Josephus and other historians, Tacticus and other ones like that. Pastor Rice has it more documented in his, in his books, God's Not Dead, as well as uh, Man, Myth, Messiah. But even the secular historians, those who wouldn't share our common Christian faith, they agree that Jesus lived, that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. You know, these are historical facts. Just like you can go back, whether it's the Declaration of Independence, the Civil War, you can go back and find different evidences. Three days later, Jesus' tomb was found empty by a few of his female followers. Even the secular historians would agree with that. His disciples believed that Jesus appeared to them following his death. Well, maybe it was a hallucination. Well, 500 people don't see the same hallucination all at once. The scriptures tell us that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. The message of his resurrection was proclaimed immediately after his reappearance to the disciples in the very place where it would have been the easiest to disprove in Jerusalem. You know, it would have been something different if it would have been in a, in a galaxy far, far away. But Christianity started in the very place where all you got to do is show me, the, show me the body. If you show me the body, then it's all over. But nobody could find the body. And the other uh, minimal fact, Saul of Tarsus, a chief persecutor of his followers, of Christ's followers, became a believer. And the testimony of Saul, we know him as Paul, was that he had a, a vision, had a, an, a, an appearance, an encounter with a resurrected Savior, resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And those are some you know, basic minimal facts that all the, even the secular historians would agree to those and the conclusion then is that Jesus did come out of the grave, that Jesus did rise again, and we have that hope in our Savior, in Christ. And so that's, you know, that's really the good news. I mean, I know it's, I know it's basic, but it's, it's, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's just that simple. Amen. And so I know that this is simple, but if you just get into the Bible and get this foundation in your Bible, those in your life, those guys in Mexico that are making so many disciples and they're actually seeing crime levels dropping as they get these purple books and people into the Bible in a greater way. My wife and I, we lived in, 
in Costa Rica for 12 years. We built a house there. And I was kind of surprised that when they did the foundations, Costa Rica's in an earthquake zone, house, the foundation, cement, you know, foundations, super wide. Pastor JT that was on the video, he works in construction. He shared a little bit last Wednesday as well, just about if you go into places like um, Florida where there's hurricanes, they have to go down and, and, and hit solid foundation. You know, there might be some... Um, what do you call them? The, the, all the, the underneath the JT's the construction. I'm not. And sometimes I, when I, I did so much ministry in Costa Rica, it comes out in Spanish a lot of times a lot better. But they have to put the foundations down. It could be 20, 30, 40 feet down there until they hit bottom. And you might be saying, well, this is just so basic, so basic. Well, there will be hurricanes. There will be earthquakes. There will be trials, tribulations. I'm not, I'm not a prophet of doom. I just know that in this world we will have difficult times. And if you've got your foundation dug deep, if you hear his word and you act accordingly, if you go back in and, and lay it again, maybe you've heard this before, but this purple book will help you to shore up, to solidify, to strengthen those foundations so that you can walk with the Lord and help other people walk with the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us as we get ready to dismiss. Father, I thank you so much for those that are here. God, I thank you for those that are watching online. God, I pray that there would even be a new hunger for your word, a hunger for you. God, that we would be able to do the little things and get into your word little by little and to know you and to appreciate you more. Lord, I pray with the, if there's anybody here, that whether they're on site or watching from home, watching from wherever they might be watching, that have never received you as Lord and Savior, they've never asked you to come into their life, God, I pray that you would touch them, that you would, you would go after them. Just in the same attitude of prayer, I do sense that God is here with us, and he's been calling he calls out, he calls all of us to a relationship with him. And if you've never answered that, you've been running from God, you've been hiding, you, you realize that your, your sin, the evil things that you've done, things that go against God, that they have separated you from him. But you realize that there is a loving God who sent his son to die on the cross and he rose again. And you want, if you want to ask Jesus to come into your life, tonight's the night. Don't wait for tomorrow. You don't know, like I didn't know on that, going across that, that busy street, I didn't know if I would make it. Lord, let me not die. Some might even be praying. You just, you just don't know of your eternal salvation. Others don't know even of their destiny here. You've asked, why am, why am I here just to live 30, 40, 50 more years? get married, work a job, and then what? And you've been crying out even for something greater. That something greater is Jesus. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. He's knocking on your life. He's saying, open up. He's saying, let me in. Let me be your Lord, your master, the driver of your bus, the driver of your airplane, your train, whatever analogy you want to use. It's Jesus. 
If you're in that position, you're willing to turn away from sin and follow Jesus. Just pray and say, God, help me. Jesus, come into my life. Make me a new person. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. If you've prayed that prayer, whether if you're at home and you've prayed that prayer, just put it in the, in the chat. I've prayed that. I want to I talk to somebody, and we'll reach out to you. If you're here, tell somebody that ne that's next to you. We have people that have been trained to help others walk with Jesus. And so just, just tell them, hey, I've, I prayed that prayer. I want to follow Jesus. Can you help me? We've got a lot of people here that can help others. Father, I thank you so much. Thank you, Lord Jesus for the people here. God, I do thank you. Can I just ask everybody just to stand up? I want to have, I'm kind of in a last prayer, but I'd like to have you just kind of stand up before the Lord. And if I've got any of our ministry team people here as well, if you could come forward. These are people that have been trained as well just to pray with you, whatever your need might be. You know, whether you need healing, whether you need uh, salvation, you just need a word of encouragement. I know we've got a few of our ministry team. If you want to come forward and just be available. We'll have one last kind of dismissal prayer and then we'll continue to be here in front for those who need prayer as well. Father, I do thank you so much for this opportunity. God, I thank you that you are for us and not against us. And Lord, whatever the people's needs might be, I pray that you would be the one who supplies, who meets, who strengthens, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you. If you don't have a purple book, go ahead and grab one either up here or out there. We are going to be dismissed. If you need prayer, feel, feel free to come forward. We'd be glad to pray with you. We'll be back again next Wednesday. Try to just make progress. You do a couple, couple sections. You can do it in your devotional time. Take 10 or 15 minutes every day. Just go ahead and make progress with it. Thank you so much. God bless you. We're dismissed.